The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this Monday morning. Protests against fresh COVID restrictions rock Europe with violence erupting in Brussels and Amsterdam as fresh cases continue to surge across the continent. Germany's gender-balanced coalition nears completion as sources tell CNBC an announcement could come as soon as Tuesday with key roles for the FDP's Christian Lindner as well as the Greens' Annalena Baerbock and Robert Harbeck. U.S. private equity giant KKR launching a 10.8 billion euro bid to take Telecom Italia private after the CEO Luigi Gubitozzi comes under fire for the telco's performance. And UBS announces the former Morgan Stanley president Colin Kelleher as its new chairman, succeeding Axel Weber after his decade in the role. So a very good morning, everybody, and uh, sorry that we're going to have to start the program again talking about another wave of COVID. Austria has entered its fourth national lockdown due to the current pandemic wave. People have been asked to work from home while non-essential shops will be closed. According to Chancellor Alexander Schollenberg, the lockdown would run for a maximum of 20 days. Well, this as many cities in Europe have been rocked by protest against expanding COVID measures. In Belgium, protesters clashed with police after tens of thousands of people gathered in a march through the city centre. Meanwhile, demonstrations continued for a third day in the Netherlands following violent scenes and dozens of arrests in Rotterdam and The Hague, with thousands more gathering in Amsterdam over the weekend. And in Rome, large crowds gathered objecting to the enforcement of Covid passes. Meanwhile, in Germany, politicians are beginning to debate the need for mandatory vaccinations. The country's seven-day coronavirus incidence rate has hit record highs in the past two weeks, while the inoculation rate sits below 68%. The government there has imposed nationwide measures to protect against the unvaccinated. But lawmakers from across the political spectrum have said stricter rules may now be needed. And what a time, Jeff, to actually be forming a government and to be taking over in Europe's powerhouse economy because the multitude of issues from the Visegrad group and their attitude uh, to um, European law and order to the problems with COVID to the recovery plan uh, to the immigration crisis, which continues as well. What a time to be putting together a German coalition government because it's taking shape. Uh, the sources uh, are telling CNBC an announcement uh, could come as early as tomorrow. Now, during the campaign, the Chancellor-in-waiting, Olaf Scholz, 
uh, pledged to have a gender-balanced cabinet. Two sources tell CNBC that uh, FDP leader Christian Lindner is set to be the next Minister of Finance. Uh, Annalena Baerbock will become Foreign Minister and Robert Harbeck uh, will become the next Economy Minister as well. Well, look, that, this cannot come a moment too soon, Jeffrey. You cannot have a situation where you have a de facto power vacuum at this absolutely crucial time in Europe. And of course, I didn't even mention in my list of things that are going on at the moment, the fact that we have the ECB still pondering whether it's on message uh, to, to stay uh, with this stunning policy um, largesse or actually is going to be tightening. We might get some more details on that later in the week as well. But you cannot have this multitude of crises, this layer upon layer of crises without an effective working government with a plan going forward. I think this is crucial that this gets wrapped up as soon as possible, Jeff. Really, it's just one of those uh, things now that will trouble the market. I mean, we've we've had an extraordinary session from both the DAX and the CAC, and they've pushed forward and made these uh, fresh all-time highs. They've pretty much mirrored some of the movements we've seen in the U.S. markets. And now we've got to reflect on what this outbreak, this fresh wave of COVID and the new restrictions ultimately are going to mean then for the economic glide path for these Euroland economies. And it seems to me, Steve, as we were sat here last week kicking the ball backwards and forwards over the issue of inflation, to, to a certain extent, given what has taken place over the weekend, I think we can almost park that conversation just for the time being and focus down on how widespread and how drastic these new measures are going to be for the Euroland. Because let's not make any uh, bones about this. If the enforced restrictions are sufficient enough, we are ultimately talking about a Eurozone uh, economy that may be headed back towards recession. I don't think anybody wants to see that, and I don't think that's where we are at the moment. But it is something clearly that we need to contemplate, and it is something that puts the ECB in a very difficult position here. Because even as uh, we know, Christine Lagarde has been under intense pressure to take action on this spike in inflation that we're seeing in Germany and other countries. She will be looking again, I think, at this emergency pandemic relief program, the PEP, as it was described, and wondering, even as it's due to expire, the current PEPP in March, will it be necessary to perhaps reform the PEP in a slightly different shape or at least reprise it to match whatever economic consequences we see from this fresh wave here. So we're back in a very strange place, talking yet again around restrictions, particularly on the unvaccinated now, but we know there will be impacts elsewhere as people adjust their own lifestyle to avoid contact with those they think are higher risk. There is a real threat here, it seems to me, as we come into the end of the year here, of a significant shift in our expectations around what growth rates are going to look like. Yeah, all of the above, Jeff. Uh, the only thing I would just add to that, and I think we'll leave that question lingering now, is it does PEP work? 
Has it achieved what it was meant to achieve? Has it created the stimulus for the economy or actually is it incidental to the recovery? Is it more important to get actually the coronavirus recovery plans across Europe up and running? But we'll leave those questions there as well because Aneta is good to speak to us now. Aneta, good morning to you. One thing that is very apparent across Europe at the moment, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about this on the channel as well, is that there seems to be a coalition of interests, not just in the Netherlands, not just in Austria, who are against bigger government, who are against enforced inoculation, against more lockdown as well. This feels like a pan-European gilet jaune all of a sudden. Good morning to you. Good morning to yes uh, we're actually not witnessing that too much yet here in germany because the restrictions are just kicking in now especially there's that like a, a red like, red corridor on the map one could say um where hospitalization uh, rates are far too high and that where hospitals are coming close to full capacities and their severe restrictions will be kicked in. We are also talking uh, about curfews already once again in special um, federal districts. It's not across the country. This time around, they are um, they are approaching the problem in a regional way. Um, but for example, Bavaria has severe restrictions all over the place. Saxony is going into complete lockdown as soon as today in order to combat the uh, surge in infection rates. Um, when it comes to infection rates in Germany, we are hitting a new record high. And it looks that, of course, it's mainly the inoculated, um, not inoculated people, but also infection rates with the vaccinated are rising. At the same time, um, the booster shot campaign is also coming. Well, it's accelerating, but we've been hearing from the health ministry over the weekend that there's not enough buy-on tech available and um, that this might actually restrict the speed of the booster campaign once again. So it looks like Groundhog Day here in Germany in a way because we are talking about the exact same issues like last winter and it seems as you were mentioning before there was this power vacuum in Germany um, and nobody actually took any decision and that's why we are in that situation right now. Of course the drawing the line to, to Berlin, this is now accelerating. Um, according to my sources, we could get a coalition contract um, as soon as tomorrow or Wednesday. The main ministries are now already decided. So Christian Lindner, the liberal, is set for the, for the finance ministry. The Greens get the foreign ministry with Annalena Baerbock most likely being the next foreign minister. And Robert Habeck, the other co-leader of the Greens, will be uh, heading a so-called so super ministry. It's um, economy, digital, and also environment should be to, um, yeah, draw together in that super ministry where Robert Habeck will presiding over. So I guess it looks like the Greens got quite a lot of power in that new constellation with, of course, the SPD being at the top of the government with Olaf Scholz and the Chancery. So it will be an interesting week in Berlin, I guess, Jeff.
Well, it's always an interesting week in Berlin, but this one will be notable if we actually get, <laughs> Annette, some progress on the government, given how long it's been since you and I stood out in the cold uh, in the shadow of the Bundes, uh, Bundestag. Uh, we'll come back to you a little bit later on. Thank you so much for that. French industry minister Agnes Pannier-Runacia says the government is cautiously monitoring COVID developments in Europe. She spoke to Karen at the Women's Forum in Paris and said the authorities will decide whether to implement stricter measures. At this moment of time, we are following very cautiously the situation. But the situation seems to be, and as you can see, I'm cautious, uh, uh, slightly better than in Austria and that in Germany. And maybe it is because uh, we have uh, achieved uh, a level of uh, vaccination coverage which is quite high, 75% on the whole population is now fully vaccinated. And we have maintained sanitary paths in uh, every public areas. So uh, we have some kind of a tight control of uh, the situation, the sanitary situation. But obviously, we will follow that closely in the coming days. Well, let's get to uh, Dirk Devroy, Dean of Medicine and Pharmacy at the VUB University. Uh, Dirk, good morning to you. Calm heads uh, are needed at this time, I think. Could you give us a measured assessment of exactly how bad the situation really is? Well, at this moment in Belgium, the situation is really bad. We are about at the same situation as last year in October. That means that we have almost uh, every day now, the, the last week at least, uh, 20,000 new infections. Um, that's really not a good situation, really the worst that we had in, in, in all history. Now, the good news is that we have only half of the people on intensive care and half of the people on, uh, uh, in hospital beds. So that means that the vaccination is protecting uh, against the, 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 the severe disease. Uh, but we see that in the regions such as Flanders, where we have a very high vaccination degree, up to 80%, that the vaccinate that the infections are at this moment the highest. So that means that uh, uh, people who are vaccinated think that they can have more freedom than others and should not uh, uh, care about the corona measures. And that means that uh, yeah, also people with uh, who are vaccinated are infected at this moment and infect maybe other people who are not vaccinated. So we are really um, not positive about the, the evolution of the situation in the next weeks. Well, the, the um, restrictions as they've been introduced are focused primarily on the unvaccinated. From what you're saying, it would seem that you would hope that those restrictions go a little bit further. Uh, do, do we need uh, a firebreak uh, lockdown for two or three weeks, do you think? Well, the situation was never as bad as it is now. Um, but we, we are not having a lockdown at this moment, mainly because the, the figures which are used by the government are always late. That means they are about 12 days after the real infections. The, the real figures are coming up in the, the incidence figures. So uh, that means that uh, we are really late always with, uh, with our lockdowns. 
And last year, with the same figures, we had a lockdown. Uh, and then even with that lockdown, it, it takes many weeks before um, before the situation is uh, normalized in hospitals and in, at intensive care. That means that a lot of the, the healthcare uh, uh, interventions now in hospitals are to be uh, postponed at a later moment. So that's really bad. Also for people who are vaccinated, they have to wait for their normal care in the, in the hospitals because people who are not vaccinated are taking their place in the hospitals. Doug, uh, looking at various international examples, you've got the Swedish model, you've got the zero COVID New Zealand model, and then you've got the British model, which is based on a high vaccination um, rate, but of course, just letting um, higher numbers of cases go forth into the community thereafter as well. Is there a model which you think Europe should adopt, whether it's the zero COVID strategy of the New Zealanders, the Swedish model, or perhaps what the British are doing? Well, at least there should be a European model. <laughs> um, and which model that would be, maybe we can, can leave that to the, the politicians. Uh, but at least the, the countries are that small in Europe. Uh, the national borders are open and there's a great mobility of people. So that means that if you have very local um, measures, uh, well, that, that will not work in Europe. Um, so I think it, it should be a combination of vaccination, a combination of uh, uh, corona measures, eventually lockdowns, um, but not a situation as it is now where, where really there are some, some, uh, some situations where you have, when you walk at the other side of the street, there are other measures. Uh, now that does not work and people doesn't, uh, don't understand anymore what measures they should uh, uh, cope with. So I think it, it, we really need measures at the European level, not only for vaccination, but also, also for uh, uh, the, the, the measures against COVID. Sir, I, I'm not an expert. I, in fact, I know nothing about uh, epidemiology as well. But even I believe that if you don't get vaccinated for, without a good reason, it, there's a degree of stupidity. But can you just say to our viewers who are reticent about getting vaccinated, just why they should get vaccinated, sir? Because it just seems there is a vast number of people up there, up to 30% of some populations, who think it's not right for them. Well, I, I understand these people because this is a very new vaccination. And we did not know a lot about it when we started with it one year ago now. Uh, so I understand these people, but now after one year, we know that the vaccine is safe. We know this absolutely. We have very little side effects. Um, and we know that it works. It works especially to uh, get people out of hospitals to prevent uh, dying from the virus. So it works and it is safe. So uh, that are reasons enough to get vaccinated yourself, also not only to protect yourself, but also to protect the weaker people in, uh, in the community, such as the elderly and people with uh, immune deficiency. So please get vaccinated. It, it can really help us to uh, cope with the virus and to get our freedom back as soon as possible again. Professor, thank you so much for, for giving us your time this morning and best of luck uh, with the ongoing fight. Professor and Dean of the Health Faculty 
of uh, VUB, Dirk uh, Devroy. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Still to come, President Joe Biden is set to decide this week whether Jerome Powell gets another term leading the Federal Reserve while Lael Brainard has emerged as a strong challenger supported by progressive Democrats. And for more on the growing unrest across Europe and the recent, and recent uh, COVID restrictions, uh, check out uh, the uh, Scorebox podcast. We'll be back after a short break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. So welcome back, everybody. Not exactly a handbrake turn, but there are some new issues now for investors to contemplate as they think about should they hold on to risk positions through the end of this quarter or should they begin to take profits and edge away as we see these rising infection cases across Europe and we see governments beginning to react with fresh lockdowns. This is how we closed out play in the United States and even in the US you can see some of the gloss taken off what was broadly a strong week for the US session here and be aware that it will be thin trading as we get closer to the Thanksgiving break later on in the week so that's just something to keep in mind as you think about where you're going to be positioned running into what ultimately will feel like a long weekend for many. Um, I want to show you the Treasury market because I think the, the trend in sovereign is fascinating. We're going to talk to a Moody's guest a little bit later on and just get some insight onto what's happening with the sovereign curves. But the big picture internationally, we are seeing yields come down at the long end and the curves continue to flatten in spite of reasonable economic growth forecasts going forward. What that tells you is that there are a lot of investors and people in the market who are beginning to worry about that growth momentum in the face of some rising COVID cases. So that's your treasury curve. What about the dollar? Well, the dollar just seems to be in a much better place at the moment, doesn't it, than a lot of other currencies. Uh, as far as the uh, Bank of England is concerned, we don't quite know whether it's going to be a rate hike uh, in December or not, given that people are, are starting to distrust uh, what we hear from the governor. The euro is just worth keeping a weathered eye on here, even as we continue to talk about the uh, restrictions that are being imposed around Europe. Do they start to have an impact on growth momentum here? And of course, while we're talking about a potential slowdown, take a look at those uh, assets that would potentially be lower in price if demand is impacted by fresh restrictions. I'm talking about oil, WTI and Brent, a little bit easier on the quote this morning as the market there begins to react to some of the worries we're seeing about fresh lockdown, Steve. 
Yeah, I mean, four bucks lower than when I was at the war on Monday. I mean, that is violent stuff, ladies and gentlemen, of course, because it had a down tick into a seven handle, then went back up to 82. And now, as Jeff was saying, back down uh, and under a bit of pressure again this morning. Right, let us move on. US President Joe Biden is expected to announce this week who should lead the Federal Reserve after the incumbent chairman Jerome Powell's term comes to an end in February. Uh, Powell is in a strong position to be reappointed for a second four-year term as Biden reportedly looks to secure continuity at the central bank. But progressive Democrats are pushing uh, for Fed board member Lyle Brainard, who is considered even more dovish uh, than Powell in her monetary policy views. Uh, Dave Pierce, uh, Managing Director, GPS Capital Markets, joins us now. It's actually still Sunday where Dave is. He's joining us from Utah. So, Dave, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Look, are we all missing the point, actually, about the minutiae in terms of dovishness between Powell and Brainard? Isn't actually the real difference between a Brainard Fed uh, and a Powell Fed? The fact is that she's slightly more hawkish when it comes to banking regulation. Are we looking at the wrong strain of policy uh, rather than trying to find differences between the two? Uh, Yeah, I think you're right on the money. What we what we really see the difference between the two is not so much that they're going to change Fed policy, but the, the, that they're going to change the way that banks and financial institutions are regulated, which could put a real huge crimp in the you know the lending market and how and who you could lend to and the the ability to lend to certain people. And so that I think is the biggest concern. It's not whether or not their policies are gonna be in line with one another, because I think most people think that they're gonna be pretty similar. But David, I don't, I don't mind strenuous-ish banking regulation. I mean, I've gotta be honest, when I looked at JP Morgan's and Goldman's and Morgan Stanley's numbers recently, they had no problem lending money. They had no problem making record profits. I kind of think at this stage of the cycle, when we've got larger non-financial corporate debts than we've perhaps ever seen in history in the United States, I'm quite happy for some fairly strenuous banking regulation that allows the banks to go and make loads of money and at the same time just, just keeps a little bit of a firmer hand on that lending tiller. Well, if you look at what's going on in the markets globally, really, is that we have got inflation that is increasing dramatically around the globe. And and we do have to have something that is going to slow things down a little bit because it's really getting out of control. And and frankly, the government numbers that we see, the, the increase in the consumer price index, those are not really reflective, in my opinion, of what's going on in the real world marketplace. Because I, I know that when I go to the grocery store and I buy food or when I go fill up my car with gas, uh, prices are not up 6% year over year. We're, you know, they're up 30, 40, 50%. And, and I think most people see that in their real world lives that the prices are going up. And so I don't disagree with you that um, we've got to have some things that are going to slow down this economy. And whether that's done through banking regulations, whether it's done through increased interest rates, uh, something has got to to put this in check. And and I will tell you that everyone I talk to, inflation is the number one thing that they keep talking about because the prices of everything is going up so dramatically. Uh, David, so, so 
which market is right here? Because the equity markets continue to grind higher with fresh records, telling you that they don't believe there's anything wrong with this picture. And the bond market is progressively seeing the curve flatten further. We're not inverting, so that's a positive story. But the fact that we are flattening suggests that the bond market at least is telling you that this cannot carry on for a whole lot longer. Right. And I I think that the difference you've got there is in the short term, it makes a lot of sense that we're going to have to have higher interest rates and that things need to slow down. The long term picture, on the other hand, is a little bit different. And I don't think that the outlook for higher interest rates dramatically in the long term, you know, if we're talking 20, 30 years down the road, that's a really different picture than the short term. And all of the government stimuluses that we have seen put into place, is the, all those things are contributing to short-term increases in prices. And so I think that we have to see some interest rate increases. We have to see more regulation on financial institutions to kind of pull back some of the the, the spending and the, the out-of-control, I, I use that really loosely, um, vision that people have of what's going on in in the marketplace. And when you look at the stock market, you know, things are, you know, people are buying stuff. And that's part of the part of the issue is there was this big pent up demand with COVID. And, and my clients who are in the international business and are buying product and moving product into the United States from other countries, their business is booming. And the biggest problem they have is they can't get enough product quick enough. That's due to the, you know, the shipping issues that we've got. But we're seeing shipping containers, uh, you know, at the highest levels of availability that they've ever been at, and it's still not nearly enough. So something's got to give there. Yeah. So where does that leave us with the dollar? Because the dollar seems to be reacting on interest rate differentials at the moment. Um, but obviously there will be concern that if the dollar continues to strengthen too far, that will have a significant impact on international players. Yeah. And, and you know, we've seen the dollar hit the highest levels it's been in the last year, um, you know, just in the last couple of days. And that does mean that, you know, products that are denominated in U.S. dollars are going to be more expensive like, like oil and gas. So that's going to hurt people around the world in the pocketbook. But one of the things that we that we look at is the U.S. dollar has been really quite strong against, let's talk about the euro. We're seeing a lot more cases of COVID in Europe, and the European Union countries seem to be cracking down a lot more uh, quicker than what's going on in other countries around the world, say the U.S. or even the U.K., that has really put a lot of pressure on the euro because if they start cracking down and they don't start producing and continue up with continue with the demand of product in Europe, I think Europe might lead um, lead the world when it comes to you know slowing their economies down. And that you know if we have another lockdown, that just may work to you know slow down the economies. Nobody wants to slow down the economy because everybody's got to stay home. I mean, it's the, the world is tough right now. And, you know, a lot of people emotionally as well as, uh, you know, work wise, they, you know, they struggle. And it's it's something that, that I don't know the solution to that. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.